Views and opinions expressed by the hosts are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of their employers. This podcast may not be suitable for children. Adults may find details triggering and or offensive. Listener's discretion is advised. Here we go. Hi, everyone. This is Priscilla. And this is Norma. And you're listening to... It's the mystery for me. No way. (laughs) You being animated... You wear black like your soul. You know what? Black is the best color, so. No lies there. Welcome to track 14. Wow. Track 14. I know. It's getting up there. It's getting up there. And I heard you have a crazy story for me. I do have a crazy story. I think every single story is pretty intense and takes you on a roller coaster every single time. This week's story is definitely no different. And it's going to be taking us to the west side of the country, to a community that's known as the west side in Las Vegas, Nevada. And we're also time traveling back to the 1980s. The 1980s, those cases are a little tough because DNA analysis was definitely not what it is today. Yeah. So I think there were a lot of code cases in the 1980s. And of course, like beyond that a little bit and also before that. So today's case kind of falls into that. But I will say that today's case is a solved case, even though it takes a few decades. But before we get into that, I just want to say I hope everybody had a good, relaxing weekend. Nonetheless, it was a it was a different kind of week. I went back to work after a two week vacation. How was that for you? It was a little rough. Not, I mean, the work was steady, but I don't know, going from like not doing anything for two weeks and being able to relax and lounge to having to be an adult, that's always hard. Mm-hmm. But I try, you know, I do my best, do it gracefully, <laughs> and I'm looking forward to my next vacation. Yeah. And when will that be? Probably I don't know. Month. Next month? Um, Oh, you mean like actual vacation? Because I take advantage of the work from home policy by working from different locations like Aruba and Jamaica and DR and Colombia. Well, Colombia was on on actual vacation, but I meant like actual vacation where I don't have to do work. That'll be in probably like January or February. It's not too bad. I'll be on vacation somewhat. When? Well, for my uh, Vegas trip. Right, right. You're going friend, to Vegas. One of my best friends is getting married. Okay. to stuff. That's something to celebrate. Um, so a Vegas trip from Thursday to Sunday. That's such a short trip. It really is. You need a long one. But that's like my first vacation in how, how long? When was the last vacation I took? I can't even remember. I think we went to Europe in 2016. That's sad. That's the last time you went anywhere? I think so, yeah. You didn't get on a plane after that to oh, DR? Oh, after that, I, not to DR. I went to Nashville oh. for my friend Does Heather's that rap party. Right. Anyways, so <laughs> we're going to turn it back now to the podcast. Focus on that. I try to like bring a little bit of different, uh, different atmosphere to it sometimes because it's very heavy stuff Mm -hmm. so just trying to lighten the mood as much as possible but nonetheless you know this is still going to be a tough one to get through um thank you to everybody who continues to listen every week our viewership is growing and it's growing pretty fast in the last month alone i log on like every now and then and it's just like it just keeps growing I'll go to Norma and be like, hey, we have this many listeners. And then, like, a few days later, I'm like, um, by the way, this number has jumped by, like, 700-something or 1,000. And now we're at this number. And she's always like, what? 
Yeah, I'm always in shock. Yeah. Like, really? I mean, part of it is... tuning in? Right. I love it, though. Keep tuning in. I know. Keep keep tuning tuning in. in. We haven't even had too much exposure. Like, I don't think there has been any articles written yet. Really normal. Ooh. Please keep your phone on silent. I am sorry. There's no texting allowed during this. But anyways, keep listening. And if you have Apple Podcasts, and even if you don't and you listen on Spotify... Please review us on um, Apple Podcasts because that's like the one place that allows reviews. I know Spotify doesn't. So this week's episode, I checked out a completely brand new show and it's hosted by Tamron Hall. So she's like this American journalist and black queen, you know, that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. And interestingly enough, her sister was murdered. And it's never been solved. So maybe that's something we should look into. Right. So Tamron Hall, like I said, journalist, black queen. She always appears as like a commentator on a lot of like these big political shows. And so she hosts a show. I don't know what network it's on because I found it on Discovery Plus. But the show is called Deadline. Maybe it's Oxygen or ID Discovery. Hmm. But it's called Deadline colon True Crime with Tamron Hall. So that's where I came across um, this story about Jamie Walker. Um, It wasn't a story I had ever heard about. And I immediately took note because, like I said, a lot of these shows do not feature black females in Mm -hmm. particular. Um, And I was actually surprised looking through Tamron's, like, Seasons. I think there were about five seasons available on Discovery Plus, and it also was not heavily focused on black people. So I was a little disappointed. But then I thought to myself, maybe she can't call the shots as far as like, hey, can we focus more on crimes against blah, blah, blah. Or maybe she doesn't feel like you need to focus on crimes of like of a certain group of people. I don't know. But to me, it seems like, you know, the network gets involved and they also want to make sure it's like, going to bring in a viewership and what brings in viewership other than white women murdered murdered kidnapped. yes that is what brings in viewership mm-hmm. for true crime shows it is a fact guys check it out there are studies you can google it um people are a little bit like obsessed with the white woman like missing girl or murdered syndrome type thing um, like we've said before, though, it doesn't mean to give less attention to these cases, right? We're just saying that equal attention needs to be given to cases featuring black females as well. Yeah. Right. There's so. enough room at the table. What Unfortunately, is there is. You know, it's mm-hmm. very unfortunate. But yes, it happens to everybody. Murders do not discriminate, discriminate against people. Disappearances don't discriminate against people. So Wait, what? I'm not understanding the context. You don't know what I mean by saying that, Norma? Murder doesn't discriminate, meaning, like, not only white women are murdered, not only I know what you're saying, but that was your response to what I said? That there's enough room at the table for everyone? But I'm saying, unfortunately, there is. Because you're saying there's enough room at the table to talk about the murders of black people. And I'm like, it's unfortunate because they're murdered. Oh, okay. Oh, my gosh. Oh, no. All right. Let's keep going because this is too much disregard yeah maybe i need to take that part out i don't know um but anyways so as i mentioned i watched tamron hall's show her true crime show called deadline colon true crime with tamron hall Mm -hmm. and of course i read a bunch of articles and you could check out today's sources and pictures and all of that good stuff on our website which is www.itsmysteryforme.com Point blank period. So here we go. This is the Jamie Walker story. Jamie Walker was born in 1962. I never could get an exact birthday for her. Um, I find it kind of hard to get some of that information when the stories are from like the 80s and earlier. Mm-hmm. But I did come across a page that showed her gravesite. And the tombstone said 1962. Yes. So at the time of her murder, she was around 18 years old. Wow. Yes. So her murder occurs in 1981, in May of 1981, actually. 
but we'll get to that in a second. As I said before, she resided in Westside, Las Vegas, Nevada. It was known at the time as being the most or one of the most prominent African-American neighborhoods in Las Vegas. And she came from a family that really packed power. Her family was very much involved in the civil rights movement. Her grandma marched to make sure that basically segregation was eradicated in Las Mm. Vegas. Her mom was once the president of the NAACP chapter of Las Vegas. Her dad owned one of the most prominent um, black clubs in Las Vegas called the People's Choice. Her dad was also the first black firefighter in Las Vegas. Oh, wow. So there was a lot of, right. So A lot of firsts. Right. A lot of firsts in her family that was very much related to civil rights movement and, you know, all of that good stuff. Jamie went to a high school that was not fully integrated. Like, okay, segregation was eradicated at that point. But, you know, she wasn't. She was the minority at the school. It was highly populated with white people. Mm-hmm. And so she was also the first of many things at that school. First black cheerleader. She was actually also the first black head cheerleader. Wow. Um, she was the first like black prom queen. I mean, she was just snatching up the titles, y'all. Like, mm. bam, here I am. She would be practicing at all hours of the night. And in an article by KNPR, they said that she told her mom that it was because, you know, she she needed to be the best. And so she needed to practice at these times. And her mom was totally for it. Even though Jamie was super, super wealthy, she was still like just down to earth. She wasn't considered spoiled. Um, Her friends just describe her as just being this genuine person. The KNPR article also mentions that she would also fix people's hair in the bathroom and their makeup, like just because that was the kind of person she was. Uh, She would always talk to the less popular people. She was like a youth Mm -hmm. leader in the NAACP as well. She was just, I mean, she was amazing. Sounded like she was really like an old soul almost. Like she had a good head on her shoulders She was also really religious and read the Bible a lot. Her parents were divorced, but she was very close to both of them. Um, At the time of her murder, she was living with her mom. Let's fast forward to the day where basically everything gets turned upside down for the Walker family. It was Friday, May 8th, 1981, and Jamie had gone out on a date. She was really, really excited about this date, by the way, and she... I'm pretty sure she mentioned to her friends that she would call them afterwards and to, you know, to tell them all the details. Kind of like when I come home and I'd be like telling you all the details and you say you don't want to hear it. Her friends Mm -hmm. want to hear it. Norma. But anyways, when she gets home, this is where things get a little bit foggy because it's during this time that something happens Because her dad, who, like I said before, he runs a nightclub. He gets a call at his nightclub in the wee hours of May 9th on Saturday morning. And it's from Jamie. And she's basically telling him, like, Dad, they have me here. They have me and they're holding me hostage. And and he's really confused at this point. Like, who has you? What the hell is going on? And then the kidnapper gets on the phone. What? Yeah, so apparently she's been kidnapped. And this at is this a payphone of some sort. I don't know or if it's like, a payphone or what's going on. It's I did, 1981. Sorry, I, I don't know if it's a landline. I meant it could landline. Be, <laughs> right. It could be traced, yeah. but it's not entirely clear. At this point, this is when the, the family gets to know like she's been kidnapped because the kidnapper says that he wants $75,000. He never says who he is. That's all he says, and he hangs up the phone. Right. That's interesting. Did, did the dad recognize the voice on the other end of the line? Or? No. Later, the dad says that he was sure it was a voice of a black man. But that's all he could say. But within a few hours, like, or probably within the hour, the dad gets a second phone call and the voice is different from the first voice. 
And this is said in the article by, like, mm-hmm. Can PR. They outlined that there were three calls in total. So now we're at the second call. The second call, different voice says that the dad needs to ask Pep for money. Pep is a nickname for somebody, and I'll tell you guys who that somebody is later on. But they say this because the dad is saying, I don't have $75,000, but the dad is actually just trying to buy time. It's the weekend. He's telling them that the bank is closed, but he's really like, what the hell is going on here? Mm -hmm. Like, maybe there's another way. Mm -hmm. Of course, the caller warns him, like, do not call the cops. Do not get anybody involved or else we're watching you. So at first he doesn't call the cops. He calls Jamie's mom, Eleanor, and she is immediately put on high alert. She's like, what the hell is going on here? Um, and eventually they do get the cops involved because they're like, this is, you know, this isn't normal. Yeah. They clearly have her. They're holding her hostage. They, we don't want them to hurt our daughter. Yeah. So the dad's like trying to figure out a way to get the $75,000 together at this point. And the mom is like, all right, let me go home. Because the mom actually was not home at this time. She was working. So different articles have said different things. One article said the mom was a waitress. Now, at first, it didn't really make sense to me because the mom, they do come from an affluent family. But Mm -hmm. I think what happened is after they divorced, right, she might not have as much access to the money as, like, obviously the dad Right. Who has a nightclub, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So that make that would make sense, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so she comes home, and when she comes home, she sees Jamie's room is kind of in a little bit of dis- disarray, and that Jamie's sneakers are still there. And these are the shoes that she would have worn outside the house. Like, all other shoes are there. These are the ones that, you know, so basically there was no shoes that she had worn out the house. So she knew already, like, okay, this is real. Jamie has definitely been kidnapped because this girl ain't got no damn shoes on. Yeah. So she, you know, lets the dad know this. And they're still panicking at this point. The police, uh, like I said, have been notified. Now, if the search has began, that also has been up in the air. Some articles have said that the search did not begin until 10 hours after they reported her missing. And other articles said that they were searching for her the minute that they heard that she was missing. So take it with a grain of salt. But while y'all think, you guys are thinking about that, let me tell you about the third call that they got. This time, the call was made to Jamie's brother. Jamie got on the phone this time and she told him, hey, I'm coming home. At this point, it's like a little later on Saturday. She had been kidnapped, what, Friday night or Saturday in the wee hour. So now it's like it's been a few hours, might be like Saturday afternoon or something. But she tells her brother, I'm coming home. They're letting me go. He even hears a voice in the background saying they got the wrong girl and they're going to let her go. And it's not an issue. So the family gets really excited They're happy because, you know, they hear Jamie say it and they're like, "Okay, she's coming home and she's coming home in time for Mother's Day because Mother's Day is actually May 10th of 1981. Oh, my gosh. So they're really excited about it. And they're like, "Okay, I'm glad they got the wrong girl, because, yeah, why would Jamie? Why would they kidnap Jamie out of all people? You know, she's such a good kid and blah, blah, blah. But Mm -hmm. we know from different stories, like kidnappers do not discriminate. They just take whoever. Right. They're going to snatch you up. And that's what it is. Um, So, okay. Now, this is where the story gets... It takes a dark, very dark turn. Some Marines, like Marine sergeants, are out in, like... I don't know, like a wooded area type thing. And they're walking around doing separate exercise. So this has nothing to do with the search or whatever. And they came across a body at the bottom of the bridge. This is a bridge that's probably 47 to 50 feet in height. And what they come across is a crumpled human body. Like, it's mashed. So from their perspective, a body would only look mashed like that if it fell from a bridge. And, I mean, it's right under the bridge, right? Mm -hmm. So they're just like, it has to be that. Mm -hmm. And they call it in, and the detectives go out there. Um... And even a rookie reporter whose name is George Knapp, we'll come back to him in a little bit. He goes out there, too. It's his first murder. He is just like, like I said, rookie starting out in journalism. And I mean, it's the image is burned in his head to this day. 
But even for the seasoned detectives who have seen the most grisly crime scenes, Mm -hmm. this has really also impacted them. So what exactly happened and was it Jamie? It was Jamie Walker at the bottom of the bridge. Unfortunately, she was never let go. Like the kidnappers said she would be. And instead, based off of the autopsy, it seems like she was unconscious when they threw her off of the bridge. They think she was unconscious because there was no defensive wounds. There was no indication that she had tried to break her fall, right? Mm. If you're falling, you're going to probably stick an arm out. I don't know. You might try and land a certain way. There was no type of evidence that she did that. Mm. What was the cause of death? The cause of death was her skull being fractured and crushed in certain places. That is what killed her. So it was fractured due to the impact of the fall? Yes. Okay. Yes. So at this point, I mean, the family is devastated. The mom is actually the one who identifies her body. The mom felt like, okay, I have to do this because I just have to be strong. And like, you know, she's been missing. Let me just see if it's her. She's supposed to come home, but let me just check. And when she saw, she said that she could barely tell it was her because her face was just so, it it just suffered so much impact from the fall that it was hard to recognize that it was Jamie, but she knew it was her somehow. Yeah. All all honestly very very sad and devastating for the family because again guys it's mother's day the body is found on mother's day can you imagine so evil really i mean it really is a different kind of evil that you said that this is solved right this is solved we're gonna get there i can't wait to get there because i want to know who did this right right and i think this is kind of I mean, is it a different turn from the ones that we've done so far? Sort of. I think the ending might piss a few people off, so bear with me, y'all. What evidence did they find from this scene? Whether the scene of, like, the fall for the bridge or the scene of the crime. Honestly, y'all, they did not find much because throughout the Tamron Hall show and throughout all and through all the articles I read, They emphasize the fact that it was 1981. DNA analysis was not what it what it is today. So at her home, they found that the back door and back window had been. It looked like somebody had been either tampering with it or something. So they did lift fingerprints. I will say now that those those fingerprints never come back as matching anybody who's arrested eventually. At the scene of the bridge, there's not really much information on what they found there, but they do take her clothing and they do store it in evidence. And it sits in evidence for about 30 years. That's insane. Yes. It sits in evidence for a very, very long time, y'all. Very long time. It might be a little less than 30 years, but like, let's say 25 years. But that's Mm -hmm. still a long time. time. Very long time. So you already know that this case had to have gone cold, right? If it's been sitting there for that long and I tell you there's eventually a conviction. Yes, there is, but it's not till down the line. So let's get into the list of, I don't know, people of interest. So the cops had one list and Eleanor, who's Jamie Walker's mom, she had her own list. She had her own list. And let me tell you about Mama Eleanor. She fought till the end for Jamie. She would not rest until she found her daughter's killers. And honestly, I do think that it really deeply impacted her on a medical level, too, where she Mm -hmm. began to suffer. I mean, we see this in a lot of stories and we hear stories of people dying from a broken heart yeah. and things like that. And I do feel like those things are real. And in this story, I do feel like you'll see that at the end, um, how badly it really did impact her mom. So list of suspects. Remember Pep, who the caller says, like, you know, talk to Pep. Yeah. Ask him for money. OK, so who is Pep? Pep was, well, his real name, his government name was Lusby Marshall. Lusby. 
Lesby. Yeah. I don't know. He was Eleanor's boyfriend. So her mom's boyfriend. Remember, her parents were divorced. Okay. So he was a little sketchy. On the Tamron Hall show, they describe him as somebody who used to be a pimp. Really? Yes. And, I mean, used to, right? He seems like, at this point, he has changed his ways. But, you know, the detectives still are like, ah, you know, they still put him on the list of suspects because the caller said, ask Pep. So they're like, okay, like. Why did they mention your name? Why did they mention your name? Well, he volunteers for a lie detector test because he's like, I didn't have anything to do with this. I'll take the test. I'll do whatever. We all know lie detector tests are just not always reliable and they're not always admissible in court Mm -hmm. i know some true crime podcasts will say they're never admissible in court but the truth is certain jurisdictions might allow certain things but i will say most jurisdictions don't allow it okay anyways so he volunteers for the lie detector test and drum roll please did he pass it what do you think you think he passed it he passed it Passed with flying colors, they cross him off the list. Let's talk about the next person on the list, who is Jamie's dad. I'm sorry, what? Yeah, so they put Jamie's dad on the list of suspects. I mean, is this abnormal? Not per se, because they always start with people closest to the victim. But the reason they put him on the list was kind of interesting. Remember how I said he owned the, like, hottest black nightclub in Vegas at the time? Mm -hmm. So they basically were trying to say that his club was being, was allegedly involved in drug trafficking. Allegedly. Okay, but what what that got to do with her? Right, so they're thinking, basically, it could be some sort of drug deal gone wrong. It could be somebody trying to avenge that drug deal, etc. So... And they emphasize this on the show and in articles I've read. There's never, ever been evidence that her dad's club has been involved in this stuff. It has never been proven or anything like that. I mean, if if there's no evidence against it, I just feel like, okay, it is what it is. Yeah. Right? Um, so what what happens with a dad? And does he get crossed off the list? He does get crossed off the list. He passed his polygraph test and he was cleared. So... After this, at this point, you know, the family is a little bit frustrated and they express this on the Tamron Hall show because the cousin whose name is Gayla, she was like, oh, my gosh, she loved Jamie. Jamie was her older cousin at the time of Jamie's death. Gayla was probably like eight years old. Mm -hmm. And she just admired her cousin so much. It was like the sister she never had, like older sister vibes, etc. And she talks on the show and says that she feels like the investigation was not treated as it should have been in the first days, right? She feels mm-hmm. like they wasted a lot of time by by focusing a lot on the family and this, like, drug trafficking thing, etc. She thinks that if it was a white person, that the investigation would have been handled differently, meaning yeah. if Jamie were white. Yeah, then they probably wouldn't even be looking into it being, like, some sort of drug deal gone bad. Right. That wouldn't be right. the first thing. Yeah, like, that would, would that be your first thing? I mean, the interesting thing to me is that the mom comes with her number one suspect. Her number one suspect is this boxer dude. His name is Willie Shannon. His nickname is actually The Cannon. So Willie The Cannon Shannon. Um, he lives nearby and he's always been number one on the mom's list. And she brings this to the police back in 1981 and they ask Willie some questions. Okay. So let's talk about how that went. They ask Willie, basically, does he know anything? Is he involved? Of course he's going to say he ain't involved, but they wanted to know just like, did he know Jamie? Did he know her parents? And he said that he knew her parents because, you know, he was like this pretty famous boxer in Nevada at the time. There was even rumors that he was going to fight Muhammad Ali. He was that good. He was really wow. strong. He, I think out of 14 fights, he had 11 knockouts where he won 11 times straight because one blow and that's it. So he was, you know, he was really rising in the boxing scene. 
Um, so he did, of course, venture into her dad's club and he did meet her mom. He once told her mom that he would keep an eye out on Jamie because there were creeps and weirdos in this world. And the mom didn't get a good feeling from that. She just looked at him thinking, you're the you're the real weirdo here for even mentioning that. Yeah. She was kind of like, that's that's strange. Mm-hmm. Um, but he always gave her like bad vibes. I don't know what it was. But maybe a mom's intuition isn't wrong. And we'll see at the end if that holds up. So another interesting thing is that Jamie's brother actually took boxing lessons from Willie Shannon. Willie lived pretty close to the family, by the way, to like Jamie's mom's house. Mm. He lived about some articles say a block away. Some say like two or three blocks away. But it was within the general That's vicinity. Still pretty close. Very close by. Yeah. So the police also asked Willie basically what he thought of Jamie generally, and he called her, uh, he said basically that she was snooty, which means, like, you think you're better than people. Some, like, that's what they said on the Tamron Hall show, but in an article I read, he, it actually said that he, the real words he said were, was that she is a snooty bitch. Well, okay, then. Right. I was like, okay. If I were a cop already, I'd be like, okay, so why are you mad? Why are you mad for? Like, you just sound really angry and defensive. Mm -hmm. But I don't know what it was. The cops just never, um, you know, kept up with Willie like that. It didn't seem to me like, like, it never came up on the show whether or not he did a polygraph test. It didn't seem like the cops were pressing him that much. I don't know. But then I start reading more and more about other incidents that happened with this Willie Shannon character and Jamie. And there was one incident that her friend talks about on the Tamron show. And they're outside washing Jamie's car. And Willie pulls up just really slowly and creepily. And Jamie never makes eye contact with him. She just keeps staring at her car, washing in. Her friend gives him, like, you know, the evil eye. Like, get out of here, mm-hmm. you creep. Um, and after he leaves, Jamie just says to her friend, you know, that he makes her very uncomfortable. And, and like, he makes her, he scares her, basically. That's a red flag. That's a real, right? On May 8th, the day she actually ends up disappearing, Willie stops by her house earlier in the day. Oh, really? Yeah, he knocks on the door, and he basically was asking to see her mom. He needed to talk to her um, about something. Um, Her mom was actually in the shower, so Jamie answered the door. And apparently he gave Jamie his number and told her, like, hey, tell Eleanor to call me back. So that was one story I read um, in one of the articles. But then another article said that Eleanor was actually there and answered the door and that after a while, Willie got like really weird and was like, "Okay, I got to go. I got to leave right now. Bye. So no matter which story that you believe, it still shows that he visited this house on the day of the abduction, which is very strange. Now, based off of this, I think that he was probably going to the house to kind of surveil it. Like, do a little bit of surveillance. Yeah. Honestly, I think he probably was trying to scope it out. Like, oh, is the mom getting ready for work? Like, hmm, what's Jamie yeah, doing? if she's in the shower, that means right. she's ready, which means she's probably right. going somewhere. Or even or if she's just be in your house. Or even she's, if she's out and she answered the door, maybe she's in her uniform, you know? Yeah. And he's thinking already, like, oh, okay. That's interesting. Um, now is my chance. So... There are so many red flags with this. Right. But there's one thing we should have probably gone back to, and I'll go back to now. But remember, Jamie had a date earlier on in the evening. It's never mentioned that the police interview her date, but her mom, the night that, you know, she's getting these calls. So this would have been like, what, Saturday in the wee hours of the morning or like early Saturday morning. Mm -hmm. Her mom does track down her date. And she goes and asks him questions because she wants to know where her daughter is. And he is very sad and really frightened by the situation. The mom knew immediately he has nothing to do with it. But that's the most I found about this date. No other article. There's no in-depth thing about this guy. I don't even know his name. Um, It doesn't talk about him too much in the um, Tamron Hall show. 
So, poor date, right? Mm -hmm. So, at this point, the police don't really have a person of interest. They've eliminated pretty much everyone that they've come across. But I think, honestly, they're making a mistake because I think just me and you hearing the story, we think they need to look into Willie some more, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think they need to. But they don't. What's interesting, though, is that in 1983, so just two years after the murder of Jamie Walker... Willie Shannon is arrested for the kidnapping and assault of a teenage girl. And he is sent to state prison for 11 to 12 years. Like, he serves that much time. Yes. That's a long time. That's a long time. Now, the crime has similarities to that of Jamie Walker, but that's all they said. Like, they didn't say what the similarities were. This girl did not end up murdered and I could not find this girl's name anywhere probably because she was a teenager and it was hard to find court documents too but probably because it was 1981 so the courts were not really up you know there was not really computer (laughs) stuff going on at that time like that so it's a lot you know it's a lot different when it's like a current case I'm more likely to find some sort of documentation or court record transcript or something but not Mm -hmm. with this one So the most I got was out of the show, and it said that he served 12 years. I mean, at this point, I don't even know if it was a red flag to the detectives. It didn't seem like it. This at this point, this guy is just basically saying, "Look, look look at at me. me. Here I am. Right? You know." And people are just like, "I can't see you. I'm Stevie Wonder. I don't know." But they're (laughs) they're basically doing everything but looking in Willie's direction. So after he serves this time in prison, he ends up moving to Florida. And during the 80s, the mom is actually still just trying to advocate for her daughter. She eventually has to leave Las Vegas because it becomes too emotionally like taxing to bear. So she moves to Atlanta first, and then she ends up in New Jersey. Mm. But even there, she's still doing the work. The Tamron Hall show interviewed Jamie's aunt. And Jamie's aunt, this is um, Eleanor's sister, mm-hmm. right? So she said that there were times she just wanted to shake her sister and say, listen, your daughter, Jamie, she's gone. You need to move on with your life. This is literally killing you. You need to just move forward. But she, Eleanor just never gave up. She never, ever, ever gave up. She actually called up George Knapp, who she did not know was a rookie reporter at the time, who saw, you know, the scene of the crime. She had no idea. She just knew he worked in the area, right? Now he's an investigative journalist. So she calls him up one day. I mean, guys, the 90s has flown by. This is now the 2000s. And she says, you know, I am Jamie Walker's mom. I don't know if you've ever heard of her case, but I would love for you to spotlight it because we're coming up on the 25-year anniversary soon. And just so many years have passed. And can you just help me? And then he tells her, listen, I was there that day. That was my first murder. And I will help you and I'll do everything I can to help you. And so together, they're able to write a story about Jamie. And it gains the interest of the cold case detectives again. Now, what the Tamron show likes to emphasize is that the detectives were consistently working on the case from 1981 when the day like the day it happened until the day the person was eventually convicted. The family feels a little bit differently about that. They Mm -hmm. feel like they kind of that again, like the attention, the appropriate attention was not given to Jamie's case. So after the story comes out, the cold case detectives receive a grant from like the Department of Justice or some sort of like organization like that. And the grant is specifically for DNA analysis of cold cases. And Jamie Walker's case was part of that cold case group that would be able to like, you know, get the DNA tested. Oh, wow. Because what happens is that these departments often run out of money and cannot test the evidence. And that's why they end up sitting in warehouses for so long, because they're just like, we don't have the money to do it. Which is insane. 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 Because now with the CODIS system out, imagine if they just ran a lot of DNA, like as much of the DNA as they can. Yeah. A lot of code cases would be solved, but money is the issue, guys. So what happens when they look at Jamie's evidence? I'm surprised to hear this, but the evidence is still intact from her clothing and specifically from her underwear. Now, the autopsy never mentioned this, 
So this would be the first time her family was hearing it in the 2000s when the DNA is being retested. But it looks like Jamie was raped during this attack. And they find fluids in her underwear. And the fluid does not match her DNA. So they know it has to be somebody else. So who are they thinking about now? Well, George Knapp asks them this question. They're like, he's like, do you have anybody at the top of your list? And they all say that Willie Shannon is at the top of their list now. That he always has been. And I'm like, really? Always? Because y'all kind of just let him skate, it seems like. But on the Tamron Hall show, they emphasize that they just didn't have the evidence to hold him. That they did think that he was involved. But again, like, there was no way for them to prove it. So at this point, they're like, okay, we need to test his sample against something. I guess it wasn't in the CODA system yet, you guys. So they had to go out and actually get the sample from him. Of course, they go to Florida and ask him. And he says, no, like a true coward does. I mean, are we surprised at this point? So what do they do? They go to the detectives that arrested him in the 1983 case. And they see if they have any DNA from Willie. And guess what? They have his DNA. Gotcha now. Gotcha now, Cannon. Mm-hmm. So they test against the DNA. And at first, it's kind of inconclusive. And the way the show describes it is that when they do this DNA analysis in the early part of the 2000s, DNA still wasn't what it was today. So they reran the sample a few years later, and bam, it was an exact match for Willie Shannon. And only then, and at this point, guys, it's like 2010. At this mm-hmm. point, They finally get a warrant for Willie's arrest for first-degree murder. Eleanor is elated, finally. I mean, she knew all along that this fool was involved in her daughter's disappearance and her murder. But she could not prove it. Yeah. Can you imagine seeing him in your neighborhood still afterwards and just, like, knowing this is... How could he even, like, go to sleep at night? I don't, well, honestly, speaking of that, I think this literally might have tormented him out of his boxing career because they said in his next fight after this murder occurred, he just was never the same. He, like, got knocked out, and he basically became, like, a loser in Las Vegas, in the boxing world, and just in the community in general. Like, his whole career tanked. And then, again, by 1983, he had been arrested and sent to prison, for the kidnapping and assault of a teenage girl. So what happens? Okay. So ridiculous. They're getting ready to go to trial. Willie sits in county jail for five years awaiting trial. Now that is an anomaly. I'm not going to lie. That is a little weird. That's extremely weird. Yes. I know people are probably thinking the Constitution, Priscilla, says speedy trial. You have a right to a speedy trial. I know. But let me tell you, when prosecutors, we like, I guess they were just pushing back the dates and just asking for a new date. And um, one prosecutor was switched to the next. And then, and before you knew it, almost five years had passed. I know That's it's insane. still. That, I feel like I know. that wouldn't fly now. I know. I think it would be. Yeah. There's no way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, there's something. you said? Right. And when I tried to, like, kind of dive deeper into that constitutional issue, couldn't find too much on it. But there's always some loopholes that people take. I mean, we saw that with the Khalif Browder case, right? Mm -hmm. They held him for a very long time. Yeah. And I think even after the fact, it was hard for them to admit that they had done the wrong thing by holding him for so long when everybody had basically dropped out of testifying against, like, him stealing anything. Mm -hmm. They were still holding him. Um, But there's no accountability there. And... I'm not for Willie in this case, but I'm just curious about this five-year ordeal, you sitting in jail for five years while they put a case together. But anyways, they, I'm sure the prosecutor said, you know, he'd be a danger to his community. But again, either way, speedy, speedy trial. trial. Yeah. You're guaranteed a speedy trial. But Under the Constitution. Right. If I find oh out gosh. any information, I'm going to bring it to y'all. Um, but I have not found any information. Um, but if there are any criminal attorneys out there who would know, y'all reach out to me. Hit us up. It's yeah. the mystery for me on Instagram or it's the mystery for me at gmail.com. Send us a message. Let us know your thoughts. But anyways, back to the story. So 
The prosecutors just weren't feeling super confident because, again, this murder had happened 30 plus years ago at this point, And they were just like, honestly, Willie is going to argue what a lot of these assholes argue, which is that it was consensual. Oh, and what could and what I was thinking? What were you thinking? I don't even know. Yeah, you looked a little spaced out. You were just like, you looked like you were thinking hard. I was kind of thinking hard, but there was nothing there. Nothing coming. No. Okay. Well, they were, you know, they were afraid he was going to argue that, and since the fingerprints in her house did not match him, he could probably argue that. But the other caveat to that guys is like okay her mom is there to you know of course to testify how weird he was her friends could testify to it but by the time like all of this is happening her mom actually dies on the day of her deposition at 70 years old super young wait she died on the day of her own yes yes she was supposed to give her deposition that day no Oh my god. But she had recorded a lot of testimony yeah. and there's ways for things to come in, no, yeah, you know, I to just, trial. But it was yeah. so sad because she wasn't able to see it through, but at least she got to see him get arrested. She knew justice was coming. Mm-hmm. At least that's what everybody was hoping at least. Okay. So let's get to that. What happens with Willie? So okay. Willie decides that he is not going to plead guilty. He's going to enter an Alfred plea, which basically says, like, okay, I'm going to do the time, but I didn't really do the crime, or I'm not going to admit to it. Mm-hmm. Okay? And they decide, of course, to let him plead out because of the fact that it's been 35 years. They're afraid they're not going to get a conviction. What if he walks? Like, they want him to serve some time. So they bring him this offer of second-degree murder, and 15 years would be the sentence, and it would also be... Basically, the time he spent in county jail would be subtracted from that 15 years. So a part of that deal also, right, but he would be eligible for parole after he served five years. How many years did he spend in county jail, y'all? Five. Oops, I smacked the microphone. He spent five years in county jail. So that means he would be eligible for parole as soon as he got sentenced. That's crazy. That is insane. And I'm sure it's not the kind of justice that Mama Eleanor had in mind. It's not the kind of justice that her cousin Gayla had in mind, her aunt, her dad, her family, the community in Las Vegas who lost her, her friends. I mean, what the hell? Here is how the story ends. He's up for parole for the first time in like 2016, 2017. He's denied parole, but... He ends up being released from prison. And guys, he is a free man today. He was released in 2017. He only served, quote unquote, about seven years for the murder. He never, ever said who the second voice was on the phone, who the second accomplice is. So that person's still roaming free. Oh, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. So there was actually you know, a second person. It seems like there was a second person. Her dad maintains that there were two different voices on the phone and that doesn't include Jamie's voice. Right. Mm -hmm. But there was two male voices. Hmm. I mean, Willie Shannon, I want to say Shannon, but that's not his last name. Oh yeah, it is Willie Shannon. His name is Willie. (laughs) Norma was scared. We're going to have to re-record. We, it's very rare that we re-record anything, but she was like, Lord, please. I'm trying to watch <laughs> Real Housewives. Uh, yeah, re-record. No, there's a lot. But, but I was, oh, what I was going to say about Willie, now I remember, is Willie was 6'5". He was huge. Damn. Yes. He weighed about 185 pounds. Like, I'm remember, sorry, he was what? a boxer. He was a boxer. 185 and you're 6'5"? That's what it said on mine. How is that possible? At one point, y'all, I weighed 185, and I'm 5'9". Oh, well, he was 6'5", and that was his weight. It's different for boxers. But anyways, could he have just done it himself? Uh I don't know. I do think he might have had an accomplice. There's somebody who knew something about him and just never came forward. I'm really tired of these people doing this shit. I'm tired of it. I'm really tired. What was also interesting was his neighbors in Florida described him as such a kind man. They were so shocked to hear that he had done this. They're like, no way. Willie would borrow my lawnmower and bring it back full of gas. I'm like, right. 
Ted Bundy did a lot of the same stuff, and that true. man was crazy. So, you know, it just goes to show people can have two faces. Willie had who knows how many faces. They also talked about the fact that he had a rough childhood. Apparently, he grew up in Florida. He grew up in the foster care system, and by 16, he was in prison for eight years for a robbery. Came out wow. at 25, became this boxing like legend in Nevada at 29, and then things just, you know, he basically tanked his own life. Yeah, like he was on, you know, the rise, and then he right had to do this for what reason? You know, right? So dumb. Right. You could have just let Jamie go, and that's it. And, and an you had to, to, and you did that, around. right? And he threw it away. Mm-hmm. Don't worry, karma will catch up with you, Willie. That cannon is coming. Don't worry. Anyways. Who's cannon? That's his nickname, the cannon. Oh. The cannon is coming for you. I don't know. Meaning the afterlife. Anyways, that is the Jamie Walker story. Please continue to tune in. Give us a review on apple podcast let us know your thoughts a lot of people are writing comments in their reviews one person wanted to say about crazy eyes like what if he had some type of like psychological disorder she wanted to know like you know do you think that prison was the right choice for crazy eyes crazy Mm -hmm. eyes was the one that like you know he basically ran his own murder trial he he acted as his own attorney yeah two weeks back I think that maybe he needed to go to um you know a psych facility possibly I think that the prison system right now, as we know it, is not what it needs to be. It's not for rehabilitating people at all. I do feel like some people need to be caged, but then there are some people that exhibit such like psychological disorders that honestly they need to be helped in a different way. So, I mean, does everyone deserve prison? Not necessarily. They might need something else. They might deserve prison, but they might need, you know, they might need something else. So. There's that. But let us know your thoughts and we'll see you guys next Tuesday for another episode of It's the Mystery for Me. Keep tuning in and stay stay safe out there. Stay safe. Keep that head on a swivel, y'all.